You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. The Old Testament, the, what they called the minor prophets, um, and the, the things that they're uh, saying there, some of the most precious scriptures um, that we know came from that. It was a really difficult time. It was a time when God uh, was basically saying um, that uh, the way that Israel and him had related to each other was coming to an end um, and that he was promising something that they really had no idea. Um, When the Bible describes us, it says that we're experiencing things that angels long to look into, that angels look, look so much forward to. And that's the new covenant. The old covenant, the whole point was God letting man know what's pleasing to him and giving man, you know, instructions that are not just good for him, but good for man as well. Um, And God always wanted a people that would be his people. But he also always knew that it was going to take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for that to happen. And uh, the old covenant was designed to prepare a people for the new covenant. And so we're talking about the new covenant, and it's really good for us just to look into this in so many different aspects. So uh, last week Jay um, shared, um, and this morning uh, Caleb is going to come and share. And I just um, can't tell you how how much I'm blessed to have Caleb um, as a son, um, as an elder in this congregation, um, and father of my grandkids. Uh, and all of that, and I just really am excited about him sharing the word this morning. So let's give him a good welcome. I'm not going to set a timer this morning, so you just get comfortable where you're sitting right there. It is truly a, a huge, huge honor for me to be able to stand up here uh, from a kid that I grew up sitting in uh, the place where many of you are sitting right now uh, to be able to share God's word with you is just such a blessing to me. And so I'm so thankful for to TCF um, for for all the things that God has brought in our lives and and to us through this congregation. And uh, I'm just really excited about the things that God is doing here. And I'm I'm really glad to be a part of it um, here. So we're going to start continue our series talking about the New Covenant, and um, I've got a little PowerPoint presentation for you guys, so you can kind of follow along. I've also got uh, about 30 pages of notes here, too. So so I just want to do a real quick review and um, just kind of get you caught up if some of you guys missed. First of all, if you don't know, um, our sermons are published weekly in a podcast form, so uh, if you're not familiar with a podcast or what it is or how it works, but you'd like to listen to any of the sermons that you've missed, uh, talk to me after the service. I can hook you up. There's a lot of different ways to do it, whether you have an iPhone or an Android phone or a, can't really have an old feature phone, but uh, you can listen on your computer. There's a lot of different ways to get caught up. But for those of you who didn't have a chance to, uh, to follow along in the last couple of series, I want to get caught up. And um, so we'll start off with the, um, the first there we go. Our, our key scripture here out of Jeremiah 31, and this is verses 1 through 3, and it says this, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. 
Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, you are so faithful, Lord God. You are so trustworthy, Lord Jesus. And your love is without beginning and without end, Lord God. From the, from the beginning of eternity to the end, Lord Jesus, you have continuously loved us and you have never wavered. Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would continue to be faithful to us as we study your word this morning, that you would open our hearts and minds up to exactly what you would have to, to us to know this morning, that you would speak directly to our hearts, and that um, we would walk out of here with a better understanding of who you are and how we're to go about our lives in relationship with each other, Lord Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. So this is, uh, this is God's a covenant with mankind, a covenant that um, he started from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden and continues through to this day. Um, so when Jay talked last week, he mentioned a couple of things that just really stood out to me. He mentioned that the covenant, he was talking about the, the new covenant and the two great commandments. And we know the two great commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and jay had a, a, a definition of heart soul mind and strength and he said but the key here is that we are to love the lord with all you could have just stopped there you could have just stopped with all we got a little bit more specifics out of it right so and it's to love the lord with all and then to love your neighbor neighbor as yourself and i thought it was so cool what jay pointed out that if we just had to do um, one or the other of these things, just love the Lord God or just love our neighbor, uh, it would take us out of this really good tension that we're in. And the tension that we're in is that it may be easy to just falter to one side or the other of just loving God but not being able to get along with people or just loving people and having no understanding of God's will and plan for not only our own lives but who we are as human beings and what God has called us to do um, as humans here on the earth. So there's this really fantastic tension that's between it and jay pointed out that loving your neighbor is like the anti-venom that we're administered right it's that if we if we get too closely to just loving ourselves or even if we get too moralistic about just following god's commandments we're struck with this fatal wound that would tear us apart that would make us um, that would destroy us if we weren't also given the command to love one another. And we'll talk about it a little bit later here, but the Bible tells us that, that um, you will know them by their love for, they will know that my disciples by their love for one another. So not only is it an important thing that we do, but it's a key defining aspect of who we are, our love for one another. And we're going to continue talking about that, uh, but then I just wanted to reiterate the, the three takeaway points from last week, where as you're going about your day, you've got to be willing to be interrupted. Any of you guys get interrupted this week? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but think about it. Were you willing to be interrupted or did you, did you maybe just sort of uh, hear that on Sunday morning and then you kind of got about back to your business and you, you didn't take that opportunity that you had this week? So be interrupted. You got to be willing to be inconvenienced, right? Like the guy that changed Jay's tire um, went way out of his way, went over and above what he could have done. And then finally be generous with your time and with your resources that God has given you. So I want to encourage you with those as we look into our next section. We're going to talk about the people of the new covenant. So a really quick review, I like to um, follow along in the 
children's storybook Bible. Have you guys ever read the children's storybook Bible? It's just a fantastic resource. Um, it, it talks about how every story in the Bible points back to Jesus, and all of it tells us more about who Jesus is and what he's come to do in our lives. So as we look at the first four covenants, um, I know that Dad covered this in the, the kickoff of the series, these four covenants and what they say about God and what they say about us, but I just want to review really quick. So the first one um, that we encounter in the scriptures is God's covenant with Noah. Anybody remember what God's covenant of Noah said? I will never, Titus, Yeah, I'll never flood the earth again. I will never destroy the earth again. Good job, buddy. Uh, I'll never destroy the earth again with a flood, right? And, um, and so this is found in Genesis 9, and you can look that up. And one of the things that's unique about this particular covenant is that this covenant is all um, on God's side, right? Like, there, it doesn't require anything out of us as human beings. He didn't require anything of Noah. Noah had already shown himself to be faithful up to this point. But when God comes to Noah with this covenant, he was like, I know that you're going to fail. I know that you're going to screw up. And we look at Noah's life. We know that there's many failures um, after this time. Even, like, seriously, how, you know, how sad is that? That the person who's the only person alive to survive this catastrophe cannot fully place all of his trust and, um, and care in, in God's hands, right? Like, we know that he goes and he makes big mistakes even after this. Well, spoiler alert. You guys too. You've all had an experience with God where he's, where he's made himself real to you and then you've gone on from there to not always make good choices, right? That's what we call it with our kids. You know, make good choices and be a blessing. We're always saying these two things together. Make good choices and be a blessing. So Noah was blessed beyond every other person on the earth and uh, he was still not able to withhold it. Um, there's a resource online called The Bible Project where a couple of guys do some illustrations about uh, different videos. There's a really good one on this, on this one for covenants. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Just Google The Bible Project Covenants and there's a really great video that talks about this. But what I like about his name is Tim Mackey. What he says about this covenant that God made with Noah is that this covenant is God's promise to make the earth a safe and reliable place for us to work together. Think about that. Think about like what God is saying with this covenant that I won't destroy the world again. Right? Like that's a very extreme thing to say. But what God is saying here and what he's making this promise to Noah with no requirement on our own behalf is that I'm going to partner with you so that we can work together on the world. And this world will always be a safe and re reliable place as, uh, for us to fulfill these covenants together. So that's the first one with Noah, and it doesn't require anything on our behalf. The next one comes from Abraham, and it's out of Genesis 12. And in Abraham, God promises to bless Abraham and make him flourish and give him a big family and lots of lands and possessions. And this is a covenant where Abraham has something that's required of him, right? The first thing that God tells him is, Abraham, go. And you're like, God, there, there needs to be a little bit more to that sentence, right? Just go? Where? What do I do? And God was not asking for him to ask for more clarification, right? He was just saying go. And that was the requirement that Abraham do, that he'd be, that he'd be willing to place all of his trust in God. And he did. He left everything and he went. And he became nomadic, right? And he just traveled wherever God led him to go. So 
you know, like uh, our kids are always asking questions like, uh, you know, what's for dinner? What's for breakfast? Where are we going? Titus likes to know, Dad, are you going on a trip next week? Because I travel for work. And so he'll ask me multiple times a week, are you going on a trip? Are you going somewhere? He just wants to know what's going on. And I think we're the same way, right? Like that's a little bit more exemplified in, in young people, but we're the same way. We want to know what's going on. And that's not part of what God's covenant for us is. He didn't require that we know everything that's going on. What he requires is our obedience and our faithfulness, and that's what he asks of Abraham. So the other thing that I want to note is that I kind of gave the illustration with the, with the, the text size here, is that these, these um, promises go from person-specific to a much and much larger. So God's covenant with man becomes from a, from a very small person, from a very small influence, one person, and it's continually growing in who God is including in these covenants. Okay, so I want you to think about that as we go through. The next one is God's, Abraham, God's covenant with Moses. Or actually, more realistically, God's covenant with the entire tribe of Israel. Right? So this is from, you know, Abraham, I'm going to make you one man, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation, but his covenant is with Abraham. To, to Moses, when God gives them the Ten Commandments, and he says, this is my covenant with now this entire people group, with a large pe- group of people, or I think we understand that the, um, the tribe of Israel was in the millions of people when they left Egypt, right? And they go out into the wilderness. Um, and I want to I just um, focus on one really quick verse here out of Exodus 19. Um, and I don't have the slide for this, but you can follow along if you brought your, your Bible with you. Exodus 19 and verse 4, and it says this. Uh, actually, let's go back to, uh, to verse 3 there. It says, while the, the Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. <laughs> Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. How I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself now unless i'm getting confused with the lord of the rings and the uh the exodus out of egypt i don't think those people actually flew on one of the great eagles as i remember it but god is using this sort of um this colorful language to show that he swiftly brought them out of there over all of their uh barriers over everything that stood in their way there was nothing that could stop God rescuing them from Egypt, right? And you, if you want to carry, carry along the picture a little bit more when you think of Gandalf and he, and he falls off the tower at um, Isengard and he lands, he, he falls off backwards and he lands on this big eagle and he rides this eagle to safety, right? That's, I think that's the, that's the picture that God is painting in his mind of how much he cares for the people of Israel, how much he wants to make them his people. And that's the covenant that God gives to the tribe of Israel. And he'd make them into a great nation to make them his example of how he is to interact with people. What a great responsibility. What a huge responsibility for God to look at a people and say, look, I'm going to treat you exactly like I want the world to see who I am. I want the world to see who I am through my interactions with you, through my love for you. 
Um, and if they were to follow him, God will bless Israel and God will use them to represent the entire world. Now we go a little bit later on and the, the tribe of Israel has grown into a powerful nation with David at its helm, right? And God comes to David and he makes even more, uh, even more of a covenant. And he makes this covenant with David, but the impact of the covenant is for an even larger people group. Now the nation of Israel failed over and over and over again in their time in the wilderness and even continuing to them. But God has brought them back together. He has brought, sought to rebuild the temple. And he's, he has again upheld his part of the covenant to, to partner with mankind to work together. And so he makes this promise to David that he says, um, if, if David would follow him one day, one of David's descendants will come and extend God's kingdom to the entire earth. So God comes from saying, my relationship with you as a small group of people is now going to reflect my relationship with a large group of people, not just a, um, a, a certain a race or ethnicity, but with the entire world. And that's what God is promising through David, that this covenant through you is going to extend to everyone alive. God's covenant is, is going to be made with everyone uh, on the earth. But I got bad news for you guys, and, and I, I really like the way that Jay put this one um, when he spoke uh, as well, that the problem with the original covenants was not that the covenants had a fatal flaw. It was not that the covenants weren't um, well stated enough. It's not that they weren't well written enough. It's not that they like, left out some important thing. The problem with the covenants was the problem was us, is that we were involved, that, that people had a part to uphold in this. That's the problem with all of these covenants. And that's the reason why God has given us the new covenant. Because we could not. God gave us, um, us, gave the people of Israel, gave the nation of Israel, King David. He gave them a part to play. He partnered with them. And even still, in every aspect, people let God down. And that wasn't because the covenants weren't good enough. It's because that whenever we get involved, we tend to screw things up, right? We're selfish, we're self-centered, and even though God has given us a very clear set of directions, we just need more. And that's what these covenants also prove to us, is that we could not do it on our own. So the, what comes after these four covenants is the new covenant. That's Jesus. Also a great illustration from the children's storybook Bible here. And Jesus is the new covenant. But what I want to point out here really quick before we jump into um, what, what we're going to talk about today is the, way, the particular way that Jesus himself fulfills all of the old covenants. So first of all, Jesus fulfills God's promise to make a, make a way for the earth, to make the earth a safe and reliable place for us to live and do work with him by fulfilling that covenant that God made with Noah. So God is, in, is continuing to fill that covenant. He never failed, but that covenant is still in place. And God has made now, his kingdom has come to earth. And it doesn't require us to go into a special place. It doesn't require us to offer up special things. It requires us to have a relationship with one person. So his covenant, is the Noahic covenant, covenant is fulfilled. The second one is that God, Jesus continues the covenant um, through Abraham. And that through Jesus... All the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
whether through Abraham's descendants, the large nation of Israel, um, whether at any point in their history they were a blessing to all the world, that's probably a little bit up for debate. I think you could say that in that part, the covenant had not been fulfilled by just through the descendants of Abraham up to and prior to Jesus. But when we see Jesus and the work that he does to fulfill the new covenant, it is absolutely clear. There's no question about whether God made it possible for all of the earth to be blessed through the new covenant. Jesus is also the faithful Israelite, right? Like the one person who is without sin, the one person who is able to withhold up, uphold the law that God has given, Jesus fulfills that. He's able to fully obey the law. And then finally, Jesus is the righteous king who is able to extend God's justice and peace to all people. So what is, what is the crazy thing about all of these covenants? God said, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this. God did it, we didn't. God did it, we didn't. The third time, God did it, we didn't. So what does God do? He sends another person to uphold our part of the covenant. He sends a man who is like a man in every way to uphold our part of the covenant. It's like life with training wheels, you guys. It's like there was no possible way. God said, I'm going to give you something to do. And you're like, all right. I, I think even in the in the book of in the in Exodus, when um when God is giving them the law, they said all the people answered. If you want to continue down, um in verse eight, like how optimistic is this? Uh, Exodus 19 verse eight. All the people answered together and said, um, <laughs> all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And that's that's the cry of my heart too, right? All that the Lord has spoken, I will do. I want to do it. I want to do it. But my history is a history of failure that I've not been able to do that. And so what does God do? He says, I've upheld my part, and, in, and because you were not able, I'm going to also make it possible for you to uphold your part. Jesus, as man, as fully man, comes and upholds our part of the covenant so that this new covenant can come forth, this new way of living can come forth. It's just an incredibly, an incredibly beautiful thing. So now, the, the covenants that God had originally promised have in a way been fulfilled. Both God and a man have upheld their end of those covenants. But does that mean that now we're done? So like, okay, God did his part. We almost did our part. We got really close, but you know, Jesus kind of helped us that last little bit that we couldn't do, which was be perfect, and he did that really well. So we did everything else except for just be perfect, and then like Jesus just kind of finished it off. So, so like we're done now, so now just go and you know, live. Like, no, that's not it. It's not like now that Jesus has done that, that we're just... Just completely free of all responsibility. Now, we are free of having to do any work to make us a part of this covenant, right? He has done the hard work of making us a part of this covenant. But that doesn't mean that if we want to live in this covenant, that we're just scot-free. Like, God didn't intend to create a whole bunch of hedge fund babies, right? Where it's like, hey, everything's been done for me. I'm just going to play some Fortnite, right? That wasn't God's intention for our lives, he had, he had more intentions for us. And just like Jay was talking about, our service to others, our relationship with others is how we continue this covenant to the entire world. Because Jesus came and fulfilled the covenant for us, and it's our work, it's hard work to extend that covenant to all that God has invited on the earth. Okay? 
So how do we do that? Let's take a look at Matthew 5.13. If you've got your Bibles there, look at Matthew 5. Actually, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll read uh, 1 through 13 together if you want to go ahead and open it up. Uh, Matthew 5.1. Oh, we're great on time right now, you guys. Just, we just keep rolling here. Okay, this is a Sermon on the Mount, obviously. And um, there's so much, so much good stuff. Every single verse of, uh, of verse 5, um, we, we could go on endlessly uh, about all the things that God is saying it to us through these. But let's look at verse 1 of Matthew 5. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is where Jesus gives us a little bit more understanding of our interactions with other people. I'll go back to that John 13 verse. He says this, in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And jumping back really quickly, um, this is a, another key verse for today out of John 13, 34 and 35. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, uh, and I, there's times when I wish that, uh, that English was a slightly more descriptive language. But we've talked about this in here many times before, about how the word love can have so many different definitions and understanding, right? And understandings. But, but what we've got to do is we've got to look at this in context. And we've got to figure out um, what Jesus is calling us to do by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And so I want to look at just these three examples that are given in this, and then I'll be done. And that's that we are to be the salt of the earth. We're to be a city set on a hill. 
And we're to be the light of the world. And so I just want to take a look at these in, in particular and figure out some of the things that God has called us to do in our interactions with other people so that through our love for one another, people can see and glorify God. And that was really the whole purpose of his covenants to begin with, right? God, who is not in physical form, has to demonstrate his character and his will and his mind. He has to demonstrate that to the people of the world in some way. And he doesn't have to. He's chosen to do that. He's chosen to demonstrate himself in some way. And the way that he does it is by his interactions with us and with the people that he's made this covenant with. Okay, so let's take a look at these in particular and let's talk about how each one uh, gives us a little bit better understanding of what God has called us to do in our relationship with our um, neighbors. Uh, Yeah, so that's Matthew 5, 1 through 15. You're the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So let's think about salt. And and what is salt? You know, we have a phrase, if someone is acting a little bit... um, uh, extra we call that they're being salty right like if they're like replying back quickly with maybe a little bit of sarcasm they're being salty right is that you think that that's what god has called us to do i don't know i mean like if you look at some a, a lot of uh, uh commenters today or or news people like you might say that yeah jesus called us to kind of be out front in front of people right kind of like you know be um uh very outspoken and i think he has called us to be outspoken but some of the characteristics of salt are Salt seasons, right? So salt in itself is not a good dinner, right? But a dinner without salt is not a good dinner, right? So salt seasons. It needs to be in there for, for taste, for flavor. It brings, um, it, it sort of impacts the, the, the person that's eating. Like if something is salty, but not too much salty, then it, I think most people would consider it flavorful. It's something that, that we enjoy eating, right? Salt preserves, okay? This is how we actually were able to um, put together long voyages um, with, with uh, readily available protein is that salt was found to be a preservative and then proteins like meat could then be preserved for long periods of time so that you, the sailors could, could go far away from um, safe harbor and, and journey for a long time. And salt has this unique characteristic that it kills bacteria and it preserves the thing that it's a part of. And so when I'm thinking about this, I think about um, how when God speaks to Abraham and he tells him you know, to, um, to, to flee um, Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, so he speaks to Lot and he tells him to free Sodom and Gomorrah and... Um, you know, God says, if there's even, Abraham says, if there's even one um, man that's available, that's, that's a, a follower, follower of God, like, would you spare the city for that one man? We know he starts out at like something like 40 or 50 people. And God's like, yeah, at 40, I will. And you're like, 30 and 35, 20, can I hear 20? Can I hear 15? Do I get a 10? And God's like, yes, if there's one man, that one righteous man that's found in this entire city, I will preserve that city. And so we know that God's heart is always to preserve a city and that he does that through the people who he's in covenant with. So you may think about your workplace or you may think about your extended family. And I don't want you to, 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 um, to consider that maybe God has not destroyed my family because of one righteous person. But God interacts with people through his righteous people, through the people that have agreed to his covenant. And that may be you. In, in a lot of situations, you may be the only one at your workplace or at, in your family. You may be the one whom God is upholding as a righteous person in order to preserve the work that he's doing there. 
There's a great responsibility that salt has and that God has given us as salt. The other thing is this, salt is soluble, right? So salt, when you put it into water, it dissolves into water. It becomes a part of the water. And and food is the same way. When it's put into food and it's cooked into food, the salt itself doesn't stand out. Like you don't have crunchy grains of salt when you're eating food. The salt becomes a part of its community. And that's what God has called us to do, to infiltrate, in a way, all those who are around him and be God's example of righteousness in our community. Here's another one that I think is really important for us um, today is that salt has the property of being able to lower the melting point of water and raise the boiling point of water. And maybe this is a little bit of a stretch because I'm a little bit more um, interested in, in science, but what, what do you think that means for us? Like, what do, what do you think that God has called us to do in situations that are t- starting to break over, starting to reach a boiling point, Right? God has called us to be salt in that situation, to give people a little bit more margin, to give people a calming influence so that they don't reach that boiling point, right? Are you thinking about how your interactions with people may cause, may lower the boiling point, may make it easier for people to reach a sort of outrage because of the way that you're interacting with them? And in the same way, I'll, I'll talk about re- melting point as that point at which people give up, that point at which people uh, are no longer solid, right? They're, they, they're, they're no longer able to hold it together. And salt is able to lower that melting point. And this is a really practical application for our roads and streets and stuff like that. But it's also what God has called us to do is to find the people that are at the very limit of freezing over, of, of completely solidifying themselves, and to be a, um, an influence in that particular situation. Okay, so raises the boiling point, lowers the melting point. Um, Mark 9, 49 through 50 gives us one more example. Um, and this is actually, this is the, um, the part of Mark that's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the exact same quote, but God, Mark gives us a little bit more hint into possibly what Jesus was talking about. And so Mark gives us um, some context when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And it says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And so what I want to point out about this, everyone will be salted with fire, is that everyone is going to encounter some really challenging situations. That's usually what fire talks about in the Scripture, right? It's talking about the refiner's fire, and it burns away um, or it melts away all of the impurities. And this reminds us that everyone is going to be salted with fire. I've been salted with fire. I've endured some things that God has put in my life purposely to give me some flavor. And that's the other great thing that fire does is it adds flavor, just like salt right? It adds flavor to, to something by that caramelizing reaction that happens um, in sugars when fire gets a hold of it. And so salt, um, everyone will be salted with fire. This would be another way that God is going to use us for his influence. And it says that even though we have encountered that fire, even though we have been salted with fire, that we should still be at peace with one another. 
And we may all know a person who's encountered some really difficult tasks and those who's encountered some really difficult things in life, and those things have made them a hard person. Those things have made them challenging to be around. And I think that's differentiating us from people um, who have that experience is that saying, I want you to experience these hard things. I want you to take you through the fire, but I don't want you to come out of the fire hard and with an outer um, shell that prevents you from reaching people. I want you to be salty and be at peace with one another. Be a peacemaker, just like the Beatitudes um, earlier in, um, encourage us to do. So have salt and be at peace with, with each other. Have some tough experiences, experiences that make you hard, make you hurt, that might make you violent. But instead of that, bring peace. So that's salt of the earth. The next one is that um, Jesus tells us that we are a city on a hill. And what is it about a city that we should um, uh, be a symbol of in our interactions with people? I want to read to you guys a, uh, a section from C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. So the, um, the, the Great Divorce is an allegory of the author who is riding in a bus with a bunch of other people, and he's going to what is described as or understood as hell, or some form of purgatory, where people who are, are not in the presence of God, they are in the other place, whatever that is, right? And so as he's flying along, he, he looks down and he notices something that's peculiar about hell. The author says, It seems a deuce of a town, I volunteered, and that's what I can't understand. The parts of it I saw were so empty. Was there once a much larger population? No, not at all, said my neighbor. The trouble is that they are so quarrelsome. As soon as anyone arrives, he settles in some street. Before he's been there 24 hours, he quarrels with his neighbor. Before the week is over, he's quarreled so badly that he decides to move. Very likely he finds the next street empty because all the people there have quarreled with their neighbors and moved. If so, he settles in. If by any chance the street is full, he goes further. But even if he stays, he makes no odds. He's sure to have another quarrel pretty soon, and then he'll move on again. Finally, he'll move right out to the edge of town and build a new house. You see, it's easy here. You've only got to think a house, and there it is. That's how the town keeps growing. Leaving more and more empty streets? That's right. How is that a description of hell? <laughs> you can think anything you want, and you have it immediately. And what do people do with that power? They isolate themselves. They move away from other people. They have any small amount of conflict. And they say, ah, I'm done with that. And so in another section, he describes this town as being light years across. Light years from one side to the other. That's how much the heart of man despises being in conflict or quarreling with another person. It's just, I want to be away from everyone else. And that is hell. That is hell. To have no interaction with anybody that challenges you, that encourages you, that even shows love to you. And that's why people seek out community. Because despite those interests that are in us, to always be right, 
to always assume that the other person has it out for you, to always assume that the other group is the one that is really at fault. God has called us to be a city on a hill, and a city is the exact opposite of all of those things. A city is a community of people. So people come to the city for community. People come to a city for wisdom, for education. And I want to look at a verse. I think I've got it in here in just a second. Uh, out of 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 through 6. So if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And it says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the condition that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not the latter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And when God brings us together, we are the benefit of this understanding of all the people that have come before us. And that's another reason why a city is formed. So there's a community of people, but there's also education, right? Tyler has many different colleges, and it's a center for education in East Texas. And it brings people together for a specific need, a need to have a career or a need to have training or a need to have uh, an ability that you didn't have before. And so God is bringing people to us as a church so that they can experience the things that are valuable to us. And so it's not that we are sufficient in ourselves claim, to claim as anything coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not, the letter, but of, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that's what I want to iterate in the next point, is the healing that people come to a city for, right? So there's hospitals. And this is actually a, a, a challenge that is, is um, happening more and more here in, in East Texas is these hospitals, which served small communities, are now not able to uh, maintain their profitability. And so the larger uh, companies that come in and buy up these hospitals, they shut down a local clinic or a small hospital, and the people that had access to that resource uh, now no longer can go there for, to visit a doctor um, or for prescriptions, and now they need to travel an even further distance. That's a problem that we're dealing with uh, right now in, in Texas. And this is what draws people to come into a community, is healing. Healing. God has called us to be ministers of healing. And not just to the letter of the law, but to the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then the last one is this. God has called us to be a city on a hill to bring justice. The last point that I want to iterate is that what do we have in a city that's not available um, outside of it is a court system, a justice system where people can come and serve on a jury and uh, have access to a judge and be the recipients 
of justice. And God has called us to be ministers of justice to our community. So here's the very last thing that God has called us to do. So we are the salt of the earth. We're the city on a hill. And the last one is, oh, sorry, that was the verse that I was, that I was pointing out there. Not that we're sufficient to claim anything, but God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So I, I think one more thing that I want to point out about this is that um, if, if we're looking at all of these things and saying, like, how, how are we doing that as a, as a Christian in our community, um, we're incapable of fully executing any one of that. To, to be a community, I don't know how many of you guys have free time in your lives to be a community to a bunch of different people, but no matter how much time you have, we're all limited in how many people we can reach out to and how many people we can connect with. And that's one of the things that social media makes it explicitly clear is that there's a limit to the amount of friendships and likes and comments and happy birthday posts that you can do, right? There's a, there's a limit to, do, to that before you have to start l- leaving people out. And so we have a, a resource that connects us with a lot of people, but how do we really connect with those people? It's a limited amount, and we're not sufficient in and of ourselves. But God has given us the Spirit who through us can connect us with the people that He's called us to minister to. And, and spoiler alert, that's not everybody. That's not every single person that you're friends with on Facebook. That's not everybody that uh, you work with. That's not even everybody that you live around. But God has called us to be community to a group of people, and he will guide you and direct you in that way if you will allow the Spirit to, do, to show you. So, and then the last one is the light of the world. What is it about light that we should, um, uh, that we should imitate here? Well, light is energy, right? So light comes from um, burning things or from uh, a nuclear reaction, but it's, a light is a form of energy. It energizes the system. All of the energy that we have, everything that's living on earth is a result of the light from the sun in some way, right? So it causes photosynthesis in plants, and then animals benefit from those, and then we benefit from both plants and animals. But we're able to um, harvest that energy from the sun um, by all of the other things that have um, found a way to recycle that energy into something valuable. So light is energy, and that's what God has called us to be. He's called us to move things in a particular direction along his covenant path. Light provides warmth. Light provides safety. Light provides understanding. Let's take a look at, let's see, John 9, 5. I think I put this in here. Yeah, there we go. John 9, 5. So in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. But he also uses that exact same phrase to talk about himself. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So is that a conflict there? Is Jesus the light of the world? Are we the light of the world? No, there's no conflict there. Jesus is the light of the world. And we get to be that light, that reflection of who he's called us to be. We get to reflect his light back to the world. So just like um, light in almost every, every um, application that we use light, whether it's through um, uh, uh, incandescent bulbs or fluorescent uh, bulbs or even LEDs, light is, comes from something being pushed to its, its uh, 
to its limits, right? So if you think about a filament in a bulb, there is so much energy that is coursing through that filament that the filament itself becomes light, right? The filament itself or the fluorescent gas itself or the LED itself has so much power coming through that, which it's almost to the limit of what it can take, but it requires that in order to produce light. And so you may find yourself in a situation where you feel at your absolute limit. You feel like there's too much that relies on you. There's too much that is requiring of you. There's too much that you can't do it yourself. And God says, that is exactly what I've called you to do. Not to continuously be under stress, not to white knuckle these things, but to allow the Spirit of God to work through you in such a powerful way that what comes off of you, what comes out of you is light. And that's what he's called you to be. And I want to finally close with this one last verse here out of 1 John 3.18 to summarize all of the things that we talked about today. Salt, city, and light. And 1 John 3.18 says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So all of the things that we've talked about, these are all great examples. These help us to maybe understand and benefit from what God is calling us to do. But when we walk out of this place, that was all just talk. But what we need to do is we need to convert that to deeds. We need to convert that to truth. And that's not so that we can uphold our end of the covenant. Don't worry, that's already been done. God is already taking care of that part for us. He has given us the requirement to give that covenant to as many people as He's called us to minister to. To fill all of, all of the uh, covenant with more people that could benefit from what God has already promised to do because He is so faithful towards us. So, that's all I got. Thanks, Caleb. All right, let's uh, stand together. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that we get to be a part of this city of God, a city set on a hill, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're putting us on full display, Lord, uh, for your glory and honor. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that has completed the covenant. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are ministers of reconciliation. Thank you that we get to deliver good news. We get to deliver the invitation to the, to the, um, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Um, I pray, Lord, as we go forth from this place today, uh, that you would be glorified in our lives and that you give us opportunities, Lord, to touch um, lives uh, with the good news. Um, that we would be salt and light to those that we love and lo those that we're around. Lord, I pray for miracles. I pray, Lord, that there would be a, just a spiritual um, affirmation of the words that we speak, Lord, and that we would go forth expecting that. In big ways, I know a lot of times, Lord, the miracles that you do are so subtle that people might miss them, but don't let us miss them, Lord. Let us rely upon the fact that there's something supernatural to what we're doing. It's not just something that we're doing in the natural.
Oh God, will you just come and move through us? We're surrounded by so much hurt, so much anger. We're surrounded, Lord, by so much striving. So many loveless lives. Oh God, will you just come and move? Will you come and move through us, Lord? You didn't say that we ought to be salt or that we ought to be light or that we ought to be a city. You said that we are. We take you at your word, Lord. We take you at your word. I just lift up this season, Lord, for our city. I just pray, Lord, that great things would happen. A lot of preparation has gone into this, Lord, and there's a lot of people that have been lowering their, um, uh, their guard, Lord, uh, to do things that they're not used to doing. We want to be those people. We want to be those people who move with expectancy. I pray for our city, Lord. I pray for a move of God. And I pray it would be evident, Lord Jesus, in these things that Caleb talked about. It would be evident, Lord, in in justice. It would be evident, Lord, in, in healing. It would be evident, Lord, in the, the poor having the gospel preached to them. That's what you told John the Baptist was one of the signs that you were the one who was promised. Thank you for it, Lord. I pray that your church would grow. I pray that we would grow, Lord. I pray that, Lord, through the activities that go on, that people would find a home in the body of Christ, Lord. And that you would bring them into us, Lord, as you send us out to them. That they would come and find a sanctuary here, find a, a place of peace and rest, find a place of, of, of learning and, and wisdom, find a place of reconciliation, find a place of healing, Lord. I pray as we go forth that we would go forth with that confidence, knowing that you're going to do some awesome things beyond anything that we could ask or even think. Thank you for it. Hallelujah. Lord, send us forth from this place, having been touched by your spirit, touched with fire, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, This morning, if you came with a need, if you came with something that you need prayer for, uh, don't leave without letting me or one of the elders pray for you, okay? God bless you.